Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Okay, so this is the Zeal of the Lord series, session two, uh, God's jealousy for Israel. So focusing on his his zeal, his jealousy, his yearning for the people of, of Israel. If you remember, a uh, long time ago we did session one, his zeal for Jerusalem. And so that kind of focused on the, the city of Jerusalem, the actual ground, the dirt of Jerusalem. And then this session focuses on the people of Israel as, as God's inheritance, as his, his treasured possession. Um, so just a quick note here. Um, uh, <clears throat> the title is God's Jealousy for Israel. And that that word in English, jealousy or zeal, it kind of, it's translated the same way, or it comes from the same Hebrew word. So a lot of the references tonight talk about God's jealousy, and you can just substitute that if you want, God's zeal, God's zeal for this thing, or his jealousy, his yearning for this. So just when I think about God's, God's jealousy for Israel, um, the first thing that comes to mind, and pretty much any time we talk about the end times is, we're, we're grateful to be a community who's leaning into understanding and trying to, to wrap our head around and search the 150 plus chapters of the end times and peer at the, the text and try to glean understanding and put things together. Like we want to know what's going to happen. We want to be able to articulate clearly with people, um, especially as we're living in that day and we see events happening. And we, we want to be people of clarity. We want to be those, those Daniel 11 and 12 wise ones with understanding um, in addition to that, like we don't want to just stop there. We, we really want to lean into Revelation 1.1 when uh, God said that the revelation of, of Jesus Christ, or basically so much of the end times, is, is the revealing of the character of God. So even as we, we study this tonight, like my, my aim would be, um, yes, we want to grow in understanding, but we, we want to grow in understanding the knowledge of God. We, we are a community that, above all, we are doing that first commandment. We want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. We want to love him better. Um, and so, um, especially with this, this topic of Israel, it really is uh, something that you, the more you stare at, the sweeter it comes. The more, you, the more you dig scriptures, the more you find out just how much material there is. And so, it would it'd be easy to settle, you know, if you just kind of scratch the surface, if you... Um, just kind of stop and knowing, okay, God has a plan for Israel. He's going to save her, redeem her in the end. Like, that's a good start, but that's kind of like having a, a, a piece of uh, apple pie in front of you, and you just kind of dip your finger, and you kind of just glance a little bit of, the, of the, the whipped cream on top, and you're like, oh, that was amazing. And it's like, yeah, the whipped cream's good, but you missed out on really, the, really, there's so much more if you will dig and get to the bottom of that pie. Um <clears throat> So God's jealousy for Israel, again, there, there's so much in here that if we'll search it out, um, the Lord can speak. So um, one main reason we're talking about this is we want to grow in the knowledge of God. Um, the second reason, I think, is because uh, this topic um, is actually, I think, one of the keys to really understanding uh, the main, one of the main purposes of the Great Tribulation. So when we go through the last three and a half years, when the world goes crazy, um, it's not just God killing a bunch of wicked people. There's, there's so much more going on. Um, and I think this, this, path, or this topic here, um, Israel, is one of the main reasons we, the whole earth goes through the tribulation is so God can shake up 
Israel to turn to their Messiah. And we see once that happens, there's a lot of good things that happen for the rest of us. And so really having a right understanding of Israel helps us make sense of this whole great tribulation thing that's, that's uh, in the word a whole lot and that's coming, coming our way. Okay, so all that's kind of, kind of backdrop for uh, this first uh, Roman numeral, Righteous in the Land. So again, last uh, session we talked about there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to come back, set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. It's going to be the praise and all the earth. All the nations are going to flow to it. There's going to be everlasting joy, everlasting peace, the most awesome of things. And that is going to be great. And that, that can't happen before a number of things happen. And one of them, Jesus can't come back. He can't set up his kingdom in Jerusalem until the Jewish people are made righteous. So this, this first, uh, it's point B down there, um, uh, Deuteronomy 28. This is the, something the Lord reveals in the Old Testament uh, right when Israel's going into the, the land for the first time. And this, this carries on to present day. There's this requirement, God says, again, because he's, as we'll look at in the session later, he's, he's after Israel as his bride, as his one that he wants to love him. So he doesn't just want to give Israel the land. Like he, he wants Israel's, all of Israel's heart as they are dwelling in the land. And so he gives this, this condition. He's, he ties it to uh, them being in the land, to them being righteous. He says, guys, if you want your land, if you want to stay in your land, you need to walk with me. So this is uh, Deuteronomy 28. It says, and if you, uh, this is Israel again, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord God is giving you. We'll kind of finish that passage here later on. But there's this, this if, if you faithfully obey God, if you're careful to do all things, then you guys will dwell in the land. Uh, next Roman numeral, there's, there's actually, we have a witness in history where this, um, this isn't just a theological point or something that God said. We, we have history that tells us um, uh, in the Bible uh, when Israel was not faithful, how God actually, uh, he actually did the, the warnings of, he said, hey guys, if you don't dwell in my land righteously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick you out of the land and deal with your compromise. We actually have history speaking, telling us that God actually did that. He sent warnings through the prophets. He sent warning down through the generations. And then he eventually did it in the days of Assyria and Babylon. So this is Deuteronomy, sorry, Second, uh, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 36. It says, All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations. So Israel was not righteous in the land, exceedingly unfaithful. They polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, having compassion on his people and on his dwelling. But they kept mocking the messengers of God. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword and took them into exile in Babylon. So we see God did it. He, he exiled them from the land. 
And that's just some helpful backdrop for what we're going to develop a little bit later. Roman numeral two, uh, the jealous zeal of the husband. So before we, uh, later in this session, we're going to focus on God's zeal for Israel, specifically in the tribulation, um, the great tribulation. But before we do that, there's a lot more years in the Bible before that great tribulation. There's, there's so much more in the Bible that we can learn and we can peer into to see God's zeal. And so I wanted to touch that before we dive into specifically the end times uh, portion. <clears throat> so we, we see in all of God's dealings with Israel, he, he is, through all of their ups and downs, he is the steady God. He is the God who never, ever lets them go in their, the moments when Israel is walking with him. The moments when we're reading our Bibles and we're, uh, we're like, we're almost screaming at Israel, like, what are you, you did that last time and God really didn't like it and it caused you a lot of pain and here you are doing the same thing over, um, like, we get frustrated with Israel, but, but through all of that, like, God, he was just with them the whole time, so faithfully as a husband, so, so, um, so persistent with them, so gracious, and so we see even from the the very onset, um, when God called Israel out of Egypt with a strong hand, he delivered them. We, we know the story, parting of the Red Sea, going to Sinai, the plagues, all of that. <clears throat> uh, from the very first uh, time he called Israel as a nation, he, he was revealing to them in Sinai as, as a husband. He was saying, I just saved you guys, and here's all these conditions of, of what it means to be mine, my people, what it means that I'm your God. Let me define you, for you, the rules of engagement, the rules of this covenant, the rules of being in relationship with me. And so we see, um, we see this phrase, uh, specifically, I will be your God and you will be my people. Um, it's used first in the Exodus uh, when they get to Sinai, and then it's, it's repeated consistently throughout the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, and into, it makes its way into Revelation 21, the, the last few chapters of the Bible. So this is, this is one of those phrases that is so, like, clearly to me, it's like, this is a wedding vow of God. He said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. It's like he's pledging himself to us, um, and Israel's pledging himself back to him. Okay, well, I gave you a bunch of verses there, just in case you're like, how does, what does God feel about Israel? I gave you just a small sampling. There's a lot more. Um, but I'll read a few of them for you here. Exodus 6, 7. God says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Isaiah 54. For the maker, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Deuteronomy 10. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord has set his affection on your ancestors. He's talking to, to Israel here. He says, he set your affection on your ancestors and loved them. And then Isaiah 26. O Lord, uh, this passage, he's speaking to the adversaries of Israel. It says, O oh Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see the zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let, the fi let your fire for your adversaries consume them. And so we just, God, we see this, I mean, even the passage, the last one, is, it uses the word zeal for your people. Like, that's like kind of the title of this passage or the title of this session. But we see God as a husband. He says, you're mine, I'm yours, I'm your husband, you're my bride. We see that language through all of his dealings with Israel. And it, that spills over into um, 
the rest of the Bible as well. So point B, his, his zeal for Israel to joyfully serve him. So as a, as a husband who has this immense zeal and yearning for Israel, he, he doesn't just give the, the 500 and Robbie would know how many you know, Old Testament commandments there are. Five, 613, okay. You passed the test. Um, 613 Old Testament um, uh, commands. Those were not just God being mean. He's like, let me, I'm going to keep you guys really busy. I'm going to be mean, and you're going to spend all this time. No, he did it because he wanted Israel to walk closely to him, and he's a holy God. And so he gave those good commandments so they could walk with him. Because God here, he, he wants Israel not just to, to be his, but he wants Israel to joyfully serve him and follow him. Just like any husband, he doesn't, we don't want our wives to just be mopey and rolling their eyes at us and just like not even, like we want them to love us and joyfully like be ours and be in relationship. Like we want that. And so God is the same. After all, marriage is just a picture of God and his people. Um, so this is Deuteronomy 28. It says, because you did not serve, so this is actually a rebuke, but we can, we, we can learn from it. It says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness in your hearts. So I just love that phrase, like God wants joyful and gladness in the heart of Israel as they're serving him. Okay, well, top of page three, first mention of God's jealousy. Again, I'm, I'm big on this. Uh, the more I do this, the more it's like every time I do this, the Lord speaks, like looking where a topic, mercy, love, compassion, zeal in this case, looking where something is first mentioned in the Bible really gives the pattern for um, like what God is primarily thinking when he thinks of that term. Um, so it's really a good, good exercise to do. So I did that for this word, jealousy, and I found that uh, the first time it was used was in context of the Exodus, and him calling out Israel. He's right in the middle of all of the, I come to you on the mountain, I'm your God, you're my people, here's all these rules or these commandments about how to be in relationship with me, and he uses the word zeal in the context of that. So he says in Exodus 20, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or earth below, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And so he's saying, you're my, you're my bride, I'm your husband, I'm a jealous husband, Israel. Take note, here at the beginning of this relationship, take note, I am a jealous husband. That's really, really important. The next one is just, uh, he didn't just say he's jealous. The next one, is it, or Exodus 34, he said his actual name is jealous. So uh, not just is his, you know, not just is he good at something, but his name is like, it just takes it to the next level. So Isaiah, or sorry, Exodus 34, <clears throat> for you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So this, uh, this word jealous here is actually a different um, Hebrew word. It's uh, Strong's if you want to look it up, Strong's 7067. It's only used six times, and it's always used of God's jealousy. So not man's jealousy for anything. It's only used of God's jealousy, and it's only always used in context of Israel, don't bow down to other gods because I'm a jealous husband. So it's only always used, husband, jealous husband, don't worship other gods. 
And so he's like really clear. He made a whole word just to communicate, I am a super jealous husband. I just love that. It's like no other usage in the Bible than that. So if you need, it's just like an exclamation mark of God speaking. So provoking him to jealousy, he, here in Deuteronomy 6, he, he gives Israel, you can think of this, it's the Shema, you can think of it as the, the Old Testament version of the first commandment, it kind of uses the same language, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, or all of your might, I guess it says there. Um, then it says, skip down to verse 15, so he's basically saying, Israel, love me, I want you to love me, I want you to know me. And then verse 15, it says, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. There it is again. And he says, Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. So he gets really intense. He says, I want you to love me with everything. And he says, like, I want you to do that because I'm a jealous God. And if you don't do that, like, I'm, I'm a husband, and my zeal is going to get stirred up. And he says, I'm going, to re, I'm going to destroy you off the face of the earth. So gee, he, God gets real intense there with Israel. It's almost like the beginning of that, like, yeah, we want to love you, God. And then later he, gets, he goes for the jugular, and he says, I, I take this really seriously because I'm a jealous God. Well, he kind of sums it up um, in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 4. He sums it up with this the, this title of him, this description of him as an all-consuming fire. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 there, top of page 4. It says, Be careful that you do not forget the covenant the Lord your God has made with you. Do not make an idol for yourselves in the form of anything he has forbidden, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So you think of like fire. It's not Fire is not a respecter of persons. It's, not, it's like whatever you throw into that fire, it's going to burn up. It's not like, you know, my two-year, my three-year-old touched the fire. Like, I want to be, I don't want to burn a kid. Like, no, it's like fire burns up whatever goes near it. And so God is warning them here. He's like, I have a fiery husband, jealous love for you, Israel. Um, and that jealous love, like, if, you'll, if you don't reciprocate that, if you don't be true to me, like, that same love, that same fire, it's going, it's going to burn you up. It's going to burn you up. <laughs> so he's like, the, the same zealous love directed for them will will actually burn them up and consume them if they, don't, if they don't love God, if they embrace other gods. And so it's just like God is super intense. So this, this jealousy thing for Israel, it, it's really, really, really um, connected to his love, but it's, it's, it's really intense as well. So with, with all that, is the, that's just the, uh, a very quick snapshot of, of the Old Testament. Uh, some passages, some some. Uh, some context as we head in here now, moving into the end times dilemma. So remember, God, all-consuming fire, he's jealous, he's committed to Israel. He's like, I will be your God, you will be my people. Well, moving into the end times, it's like, what, what does he do if he's, if he's a holy God, a zealous husband, and Israel, is an un, like he has an unfaithful, uh, unfaithful bride, like, what does he do if he's pledged himself to her, he's committed himself to her, he's prophesied she will love him? Like, what does he do with an unfaithful bride? How does he win her affections? And that's really where we come to the great tribulation is one of the primary things is to shake, God shakes all of the nations of the earth so that Israel would deal with her, her um, waywardness and turn to him. And so... Um, so his problem is he needs Israel to love him, but he's not going to force 
Israel to love him. He's all about that free will, choosing him, voluntary love. And so he, he uses the most extreme, you know, the great tribulation. It says, days as, it, as the earth has never seen before. He uses the most extreme means possible to get Israel. And they have the most, and the end of it, as we'll see, they have the, the, the greatest turning of heart of like anyone, anything in the Bible from completely wicked at the start of the great tribulation to at the end, it says, every single Jew at, alive at that day will turn to the Lord with a whole heart. And so they have the greatest... The last sentence I wrote there, I'll just read it for you. It says, The greatest hour of shaking Israel and the world has ever walked through will produce the greatest response from Israel. In an unparalleled transformation that will usher in the return of Jesus and transition this present evil age. So that's a mouthful, but I'd encourage you just that sentence. That's a good summary of this message. So if you need a takeaway sentence to meditate on or or think about or whatever this is a good one greatest hour shaking produces the greatest response that ultimately leads to jesus and all the stuff that we're really excited about okay so um point a being unfaithful in the land elicits a curse so this is like like present israel right now um, present israel there are of course jews in israel that love jesus praise god there's 20 there's Two, at least two that we know of, 24-7 houses of prayer in Israel. So there are absolutely Jews that love Israel for sure, and not just in Israel, all over the earth. But by and large, the people of Israel, the leadership of Israel, um, they, are not, they are not following God. They are not following the Lord. And so they are, they are, they are in the terrifying place right now of the, the land covenant here, Deuteronomy 28, they're in the terrifying thing of being in the land and being unrighteous, which means that they, they have wrath from God coming against them because they are, not, they are not repenting. And remember I told you at the beginning that we have a precedent when they were Israel was unrighteous. God sent warnings. They didn't repent. He eventually took them off the land, sent them into Babylon and Assyria. And so modern-day, present Israel, they are, in, they are in that same camp again. There is going to be a future scattering from the land that we're going to look at, which is super, super, super intense, and it's in your Bible. And so it's, we want to be very sober. But my point here is that Israel is the current state. They're unrighteous in the land. And so God's silence, like Israel right now in a lot of ways, although they have crazy stuff happening to them in the news and people trying to kill them and bombing, like for sure. But like they're blessed right now. They're wealthy. They're like, they do a lot of good things. So God's, like, silence over Israel, like, doesn't mean that he's approving where they are. Like, just because they're not immediately getting judged doesn't mean God is giving a thumbs up to Israel. He's actually giving them mercy and uh, hoping, that turning, hoping that they would turn and repent and seek him. So he doesn't have to take them from the land. Um, well, Israel's sin in the last days, uh, this is top of page 5. The Bible paints the picture of really all the nations of the earth, and Israel is included. So it's not Israel is worse than every other nation, and every other nation is perfect. No, it's Israel is also like the nations of the earth. The wheat and the tares growing up, the most wicked generation to ever be alive is, is coming, and Israel is going to be part of that. They're going to be unfaithful. So just some of these verses here, Zephaniah 3, verses 1 and 2. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. 
She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. So not in a place of walking with the Lord. Hosea actually um, connects the picture, I think, in a helpful way. He actually uses um, like language of an unfaithful bride. This is Hosea 2. It says, for she said, for she said, so Israel herself is saying this. It says, she said, I, I will go after my other lovers. I will go after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax. She's saying, I will, I will go after the one who provides for me. Like, Lord, you, um, I'm going to go after the one who provides for me. The simplest way to say that. Um, and then Isaiah 30 says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of the Spirit, and they might add to their sin. So end time Israel, not walking with the Lord, they even go so far as um, in, the, in the days before um, the Antichrist kind of revealing as the man of sin, like Israel actually joins themselves to the Antichrist before he gets his scary face on. Um, they join themselves to him because he's providing. That's what that Hosea passage, you provide my bread, my water, you provide safety, you, you, you hold back my enemies. So it's Israel, she's, she's in the last days, she's actually not trusting upon God, leaning upon God. She's trusting upon this, this system of man who's ultimately, she doesn't know it, but he's the Antichrist. And so really bad guy, another lover, Israel is pledging her heart to someone other than the Lord. And we can all guess you know, how that makes the Lord feel. The coming of Jacob's trouble. So I kind of hit on this, but like, in this passage in Jeremiah, it, it calls the time of the great tribulation, it calls it Jacob's trouble. It, it, it helps give us the definition of, hey, one of the primary titles of, it's not the only one, but one of the primary titles of the great tribulation, the names of it, is Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. It's Israel's trouble. So God is shaking all the nations of the earth to deal with Jacob, to get him, to get her to turn her heart to the Lord. Well, the pain in his heart, <clears throat> this, is, this is one, uh, this uh, Roman numeral, or sorry, this, this point, I think is one that really is, is one of those, those uh, deep reservoirs that really communicate the zeal of the Lord. So the Lord is not, when he's, when he's judging Israel, uh, both in the, in the past, in the Bible history, and then in, in what the Bible says is prophesied and going to come, with Israel getting removed from her land and going through the great tribulation and terrible things that will happen. God is not just an angry God. He's not just judging Israel. He hasn't cast her off and is just, you know, throw her to the lions. Like his, all of his judgments are very, very, very calculated. He knows precisely what he's doing. He's not, he's not get, being too lax with them, but he's not being too severe. He's giving just the right amount of judgment, just the right amount of intensity because his... All of his judgments are, are redemptive. They're made to restore. They're made to shake, to grab hold of someone's heart, Israel in this case, to grab hold of a heart that's hard and doesn't want to listen. And God is trying to get their heart to soften and to break and to turn. And so his judgments are super intense, and they're actually meant to produce a response in Israel. And I just love this. I, I just see the, I was reading these, some of these verses and just seeing the, the tenderness of the Lord, because even as he is judging Israel, as we'll see in these verses, he, he's sneaking in there in the midst of a verse that's about judgment. He's sneaking in there his desire and his love for Israel. 
He's like, oh, I'll just read them. You'll see. Jeremiah 31. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak about him, the context is as I speak about him in judgment because they're not listening. As often as I speak about him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I will surely have mercy. So he's, he's prophesying judgment. Then in the midst of him prophesying judgment, he's also prophesying the mercy and the restoration. And we, we see that a lot of times when God is prophesying judgment at the end of those judgment passages. There's the redemptive part of, hey, the judgment it has a purpose. It's to restore Israel. So his zeal is not just, I'm mad, I'm angry, God, but his zeal is to restore Israel into right relationship. Ezekiel 5, 8, just the underlined phrase there, it says, Behold, I, even I, am against you. So that's Israel context there. All the nations are against Israel. Their enemy has on every side. And God's saying, even I, even the one who is your husband, I am against you. And again, we just feel the the tenderness, the yearning of the heart of the Lord, the ache of his heart, even in his judgments. He's not excited to pour out his wrath on Israel. And then Psalm 81, But my people did not listen to my voice, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that my people would just listen to me. God is like, I will, I will, I will stop the judgments immediately. Everything I've spoken, like it will not come to pass. Like, oh, if they would, if you would just listen to me and just listen to the, the easy version of my discipline, then I don't have to get out my rod. I don't have to get out, you know, the big guns. And so God here, he's just, he's just aching, even in his judgments. He's, he's just yearning that Israel would, would just listen, would just respond. Next piece, top of page six. So we're going to uh, zero in here for a bit on, on the zealous judgments of God. So this is, this is now God. He's, he's been giving warnings. Hey, if you, are, if you don't turn from your sins, Israel, I'm going to, my zeal is going to be expressed in action. My zeal is going to act and do stuff. And that's what this, this Roman numeral is about. God doing stuff in the end times his zeal um, in operation. So this is, we're going to talk about what, what his zeal does and then what it produces in Israel. So there's, uh, there's actually um, a lot of passages that talk about um, God disciplining Israel in the last days. There's a ton, a ton of them. And um, a lot of them are pretty nuanced and it's, it's easy to kind of get lost in like what is going on and so I gave you this passage here in, in Zechariah 13 that kind of gives, the, it's not the whole every last detail, but it gives the 10,000 foot view of what does God zeal against Israel. So his, again, his zeal acting in wrath against Israel, what, is, like, what does that look like in the end times? And this passage in Zechariah kind of gives us the, the overview. So it says, in the, in the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish. One third shall be kept alive, and I will put this third into the fire, and I will refine them as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. <clears throat> so, 
the first, the first piece, and I, I wrote them down there, one, two, three, four, five. So the first one is great trouble. So the Lord will judge Israel, which will lead them, lead them to two-thirds being cut off. Guys, that is, that is a very, very unpleasant number. Like two-thirds of a nation cut off, that is, that is really a hard thing um, to wrap our heads around. But it, it's true. And even in that, as severe as that is, like we see the Lord speaking in that. He, he, knows, the, he knows the exact number. He's given, again, he's, he's calculated the precise amount, two-thirds, not two-thirds plus one. He, like the, the, the numbers, the specific numbers, I think, are to show like how detailed, how invested, how much his heart is paying attention, even in his judgments as in the most severe, you know, two-thirds of a nation being cut off. He's, he's sovereign. He's in control. Well, the one-third there that are left alive, they get thrown into the fire. So God's zeal preserves a third. But then his zeal, again, he's after, he's after their hearts. And so he throws them into the fire to test them, to, to let them go through being crushed and broken and all these horrific things. So again, so that they would be brought very low, so that they would humble. So they'd be like that, that sinner in the Gospels who just beat his, beat his head on his or his hand on his chest and just said, woe to me, I am a sinner, Lord have mercy. That's, that's what God's trying to produce in Israel. Well, number three, they will call upon the Lord. And number four, God will answer. And then the marriage covenant there at the end, if, if you're paying attention, Zechariah 13, 9 at the end there, it says, I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. That's the, the Exodus thing. That's the, the marriage vows, the covenant um, so to speak, the, the, the oath that God is giving, the wedding vows. So they will be restored. Again, his re- judgments are redemptive. They, they will produce the effect that's intended in Israel. Well, I want to jump down to, to uh, letter C. God, again, he's going to use the oppressor to judge Israel. Again, I'm so grateful um, for, for understanding such the intensity of Antichrist judging Israel, like I think it's so helpful that we have the so much history with uh, the Assyrian, with the judging the Northern Kingdom. We have the the King of Babylon, um, Nebuchadnezzar judging and and doing things to the to Judah. Like it's we we see God's pattern that Israel's wicked. God raises up a foreign nation and king to discipline them. We have that over and over and over and over again in Scripture, and it's going to happen again in the end times. So out of the many titles of or descriptions of the Antichrist, there's a lot that the Bible says. One of them is actually, this is not actually in the Bible, but it's um, the, this title, but the idea is, one of them is there, the Antichrist is an instrument of God's zeal. So again, the Antichrist isn't acting apart from God's sovereignty. God is in control. God raised up the Antichrist. God knows who the Antichrist is. And... <clears throat> The Antichrist is actually going to serve God's purposes. And so Antichrist is an extension of God's zeal. He's, he's the rod of discipline against Israel, just like Nebuchadnezzar was, just like the Assyrian was. So Antichrist, one of his descriptions is he's God's zeal in action. Obviously, he's a really horrific, terrible person, terrible man, but he's being used as an expression of God's zeal. It's so interesting. God's, God's ways are not our ways, but the Antichrist is an instrument of God's zeal. Isaiah 28, here's just some verses. Uh, then your covenant of death will be annulled. This is Israel's agreement, covenant um, 
with uh, Antichrist. Your agreement with death <clears throat> will not stand when the overwhelming scourge passes through. You will be beaten down by it. That's the description of the Antichrist, what he does. And then this is Isaiah 42. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunders? Was it not the Lord against whom you have sinned? So again, the Lord is using Antichrist to chasten, to discipline Israel. Well, the last one we'll do on this section is Israel's going to, they're going to be scattered from their land. Um, again, there's a lot of verses on this that Deuteronomy 30 there, it says, the Lord has driven you and, and returned to the Lord your God and your children. And then it says, he will gather you again from all the peoples which, from where the Lord has driven you, where he has scattered you. And so it's just a really, it's just a really crazy, like, it speaks volumes how much the Lord really cares about the whole Israel. I'm zealous for Israel to be righteous in the land. The fact that after the miracle of God bringing Israel back into the land in 1948 through the most, the craziest set of circumstances, like the, one of the biggest miracles that the world's ever seen was that. And that like Israel, like there's going to yet to be another like scattering from the land after that happened is just like, it's, it's completely mind-blowing. It's like, it's like, wow, Lord, you must really care about this whole thing of Israel being righteous is a necessity for them to be in the land. They cannot stay in the land indefinitely if they're not walking with God. He's really, really, really serious, zealous about that. Again, because he's a husband. He doesn't want his unfaithful bride to remain in the land. He wants, to, wants her to be faithful and then possess the land forever. That's what he's after. Well, now we, get to, now we get to some of the good parts. So it's been hard. Israel's going to get beaten by the Antichrist and scattered and two-thirds cut off. Like, that's, that's the intense part. Now we're going to get to some of the good parts. Because <laughs> remember, I said this is re, his zeal for Israel is redemptive. So now we're going to talk about some of his alluring or his drawing Israel, his, his wooing, just like a husband woos and pursues his bride. We're going to see that God does the same thing for Israel. Well, this, uh, this passage here, Isaiah 54, uh, halfway through page 7 there, Roman numeral 5, Isaiah 54, verse 7 and 8, it says, For a brief moment I have deserted you. This is the Lord speaking. And in overflowing anger, overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Um, so just note there, just in the, in the same sentence, he uses the term with Israel. He uses the term overflowing anger, and then like seven words later, everlasting love. And so it's like, well, which one is it? Are you really mad at Israel or do you really love Israel? And it, the answer is it's both. <laughs> this is one of those things where you see two conflicts in contradicting ideas and you stare at it and you're like, how can these things be? And this is one of those. And it, it's, it's really is both. And it's, it's why, um, partly why the Lord is, you know, constantly portrayed as a burning one, as fire. He's got fire in his eyes. There's this, there's this storm in his heart with Israel. He's like, I really, 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 really love you. You're my bride, but I'm a holy God. and I, I am committed to cleansing you. And so there's this overflowing anger and this this flowing current of overflowing anger and then this current of everlasting love. It's this, this storm in the heart of the Lord. He, he carries all of those things in tension. 
which is why the Lord is unlike us because he, he has so many of these tensions, his mercy, his judgment, like shoved inside of him and contained in him that he is just beautiful when you stare at the complexities of that, his overflowing anger in the same sentence, overflowing anger, but with everlasting love. So uh, just I want to make a quick note on that first phrase there. It says, but for a moment I have deserted you. Um, I, I think of, you know, like uh, Jesus on the cross, right? He, he cried out. He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? So in that, like, obviously we know the answer is the Father did not, like, give up on Jesus and, like, stop Jesus being his son, like, in that moment. But the Father was hiding himself from Jesus in some, whatever that looked like. Jesus was feeling that I'm forsaken by my Father. So that's, that's similar to what's happening here with Israel. So when it says... Some people can take this out of context and say, see, God's done with Israel. See, I have deserted you. It's like, no, that's, that's not what's going on here. He's, he's, he's playing sneaky God for a moment. He's hiding. He's bailing himself in a cloud. He's hiding from Israel, but he's behind the cloud. He's doing the, like, I'm drawing you thing. He's after their heart. So I just wanted, I wanted to note that because that's pretty strong language. I have deserted you. Well, if I guess you can have a Bible verse if you want it to kind of back up what I just said. <laughs> Isaiah 44, uh, verse 21, just the underlined phrase, it says, but you, O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. So there's a Bible verse to back up what I just said. Okay, point B, he speaks, he speaks tenderly to her. So again, so Israel, uh, all, all these verses are in context of um, kind of the backstory is Israel is now in the moment where they have, they've been beaten down by the Antichrist that, the two-thirds have been cut off. The, the one-third the one third that are left alive are, are you know, f- there's five different, um, there's many different things. Like they're taken to captivity, they're in the wilderness. Like they're in all sorts of really, really not good situations. Um, uh, but there's this, there's this group that the Lord actually says he preserved. We've looked at this before in our Revelation study. There's this group of Jews that the Lord actually actually preserves in the wilderness for the duration of the tribulation, 1260 days. If you need info on that, read the Revelation session. Uh, I don't remember which one it is, but um, it's on there somewhere. Um, but yeah, so God, so yeah, so when all these passages are, Israel's just been beaten down. They've been there's passages I talk about. They've been brought very low. Their, their strength has been emptied. So it's in the context of Israel has been, at this point, completely shattered, broken. The lover, the Antichrist that they were clinging to has turned against them and absolutely decimated them. And so Israel is really, really, really broken, battered, beaten down. And so it's in that moment that we see the Lord. He's That though he deserted them and though he... Is hiding. We see in this moment of their brokenness, you know, when they're weak, he, he starts stirring up his affections. He starts warming up his heart. He starts doing the husband thing and going after um, the bride. He does that Hosea 3 thing that though, you know, you've got an unfaithful bride, like I'm, I'm going to go again after her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go again. Though the Lord has been wounded so many times by Israel, the Lord's here. He's going to go again. And one, one last time, this time he's going he's gonna to be successful in winning her heart. Again, the greatest tribulation, the greatest thing you could ever imagine is going to produce the greatest response in Israel. And this is kind of the, some of the verses that show how God does that. So this is, uh, let's go over to page eight. 
This is uh, Exodus 19. Um, <clears throat> so you yourselves, uh, so I want, you, I want you to see here, this, uh, before I read them, this first verse is talking about Egypt, the Exodus. The second verse is talking about the second Exodus of Israel in the end times, and see, you'll see the parallel here of some similar language. So this first one is the Exodus in the Bible, the Red Sea parting, Israel, Pharaoh, all that. First Exodus. So it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings So he, and brought you to myself. So he gives, he gives the, the imagery of carrying you on eagles' wings as what he did in the wilderness where they were in the middle of a barren land. They had no food, no water, no direction. They had, they had very little. But the Lord carried them. He provided for them. He did the, the good husband things. I provide for you. I protect you. He, he did that to Israel in the first exodus. And he called it, I'm carrying you on eagle's wings. I'm, I'm carrying you. you, just, you just, you're just leaning on that eagle. If you've seen the Lord of the Rings, I hate to make a Lord of the Rings reference, but one of the hobbits, I think it was, is the big eagle comes and picks him up, and he's just like, out. But this eagle, it's like, it's like that. And so if that doesn't make sense to you, just ignore me. But that just came to mind. Um, so I will care, the Lord's carrying Israel on his wings. So Israel, again, is exhausted, no strength, but the Lord is carrying her. Well, Revelation 12, this is the second exodus. It uses the same language, the same imagery. So this is the Lord, that, that group that he nourishes and protects and provides for in the wilderness. He uses the same uh, language. It says, but the woman, that's Israel, clear from the, the context. The woman was given two wings of the great eagle <laughs> so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is nourished for time, times, half a times. So it's, it's God again. God again, he's, he's doing the, the poetic God thing. He's like, remember when I gave you manna and I fed you from the rock and I, your clothes and your sandals didn't wear out? It's like, I'm going to do that again for you, Israel. I'm going to be the good, you know, amazing, incredible husband and provide all these things for you. And uh, through that, um, Israel doesn't know, but through that, he's going to actually be softening her heart, winning her heart. Just like a, a husband pursuing, he's going to be winning her heart by his provision and his kindness and his overwhelming, you know, peace in the midst of her just being, again, shattered by the Antichrist. He's going to be tenderly speaking and providing for her in his zeal. He's going to do that. So the next, <clears throat> next verse, um, next point, uh, he waits for her to call on him. So I just love this one. Uh, again, the Lord, he's not going to force Israel He's going to pursue her, provide for her. He's going to do everything, but ultimately she's got to have that turning of her heart and accept his zeal, so to speak, accept that um, their maker, their husband wants them. She's got to lean into that, and the Lord's going to wait for that. So this is um, the first verse, Hosea 5, uh, 15. I will return again to my place, though this is the Lord speaking, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, they will earnestly seek me. And then the next one, I think this one is so cool, um, Isaiah 30, um, because I probably all of us in this room, I know how I have, we've taken this verse, it's really good verse when we're prayer movement, this last part, it says, you will surely be gracious, he will surely be gracious to me at the sound of your cry as soon as I 
hear it. He answers you. I love to pray that, like, Lord, I'm praying. You hear me. You answer me. And we can, of course, apply it that way. That's not wrong. There's lots of other Bible passages that say he does that. But actually, in its primary context, this verse is talking about God um, waiting to be gracious to Israel. And so the first part of the verse, and you read the context there, and it just, it just flows all together. It says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For a people shall dwell in Zion and in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more, for he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears you, he answers you. So here is, again, God's wooing Israel's heart in the wilderness. And as soon as she gives in and she finally yields and she says, okay, like, I see what you're doing, God. Like, you are our maker. You are Yahweh. You are the God of the first exodus. Like, we, we see you doing that again. As soon as she gives that, just that, that spark of repentance, that spark of a turning of heart, that's when the Lord says, he, as soon as he hears you, he will answer you. And that's when he begins to just act all of his zeal. It's like a, it's like a dam that's been, um, or a river that's been dammed up. And then as soon as Israel um, responds, it's like a giant you know, kick to that dam and all this zeal just rushes out. And so he's like, finally, Israel's starting to get the, get the message. And I can show my zeal in a positive way instead of my zeal being me judging her. And so this is really, really a, a powerful moment for Israel. As soon as she starts to cry out to the Lord, he answers. Okay, well, what his zeal will accomplish. So this is, this is more good stuff. What his zeal will accomplish. Again, I told you his, his zeal is redemptive. It has a purpose in mind. And I want to talk about here in this last Roman numeral about some of the incredible things that God's zeal for Israel, his wrath expressed for Israel, what that produces. <clears throat> so point A there, we already kind of hit it, but Israel will respond. They will get the message loud and clear. <laughs> there will be a point where everything clicks, where the, the, the hardness of their heart will be softened, and she responds to God. Uh, this is Jeremiah 31. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me. This is them remembering or realizing like, oh God, you were, you were disciplining us. It says, I, will, I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. So this is a, a morning or a sober moment of Israel realizing um, what God was doing the whole time, trying to get her attention. Well, next verse, Isaiah 10. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them. That's the Antichrist. No more will they lean on him who struck them, but they will lean upon the Lord. I just love that. I think of the, the Song of Solomon language, one coming up, leaning on her beloved from the wilderness, Israel is literally like going to be leaning upon the Lord, this one that they, you know, there's so much imagery of, of uh, throughout the Bible of God being the, the rock, the solid rock of the, the strong tower of the, uh, the shadow of the wings, like so much of that. And Israel is going to actually lean upon the Lord, trust in the Lord um, at the end of this whole thing and believe that God is her shelter provider and her deliverer. 
Zephaniah 3 uh, paints a beautiful picture. It says, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They will seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. And they shall do no injustice and speak no lies. Uh, point D, <clears throat> mourning when they see him. I, this, is, this is probably my favorite one. Um, just picture with me for a second. If you've ever um, experienced this really painful life moment. Uh, so you have a friend and you really wanted to like go extra for their birthday or something. And you, you know like their love language is gifts. And you're maybe not great at giving gifts. But this one time you like use every resource that you have. And you do all this research and you spend all this consulting of other friends and you spend this money and you put together this awesome gift or like a vacation or I don't know some sort of like super tailored personal gift that you know they're going to love right so you're like you're excited to hand it to them and then you you know it's the birthday and you you come to present it to them and you're all excited and you give it to them and they they kind of like they receive it and they like shrug their shoulders like "Ah, I don't really like this and they just kind of you know, go over to the trash can and throw it in the trash can. Like, how would that make you feel? Like, every, like, that's, there's few worse feelings. Like, that's it's terrible. Like, all of your effort and your friend is disdaining your gift and you're, like, in shock. Well, that feeling, if you could just capture that for a minute, um, that's how Jesus feels with Israel. Again, there's a lot in his heart. He knows how to sort all of that out, but he gave the most incredible gift, you know, this whole thing, died on the cross, nails in the hands, Messiah, he gave the most incredible, like no greater love is there than to give your life. He gave that gift to Israel, and they, they, and all of us, but we're focusing on Israel, like they despised him, they rejected him, they misunderstood, they did not want the gift. Um, so for generations, Jesus has been the greatest gift that he gave to Israel and to us, again, we're included, um, they've despised and trampled on the blood of Jesus. Like, they, like horrible. Like, he has that in his heart. Well, there's a coming day when um, Israel finally realizes, again, all of Israel, they finally realize what that, what that man on the cross did for them. And it's beautiful. This, this, this moment of... Uh, I'll just read the verse. <laughs> so this is Zechariah 12. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of the Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, here it is, on, on whom they have pierced, they will look on me on whom they have pierced and they will mourn and they will mourn for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be great. <clears throat> I'm going to stop there because there's hard words to say. Um, so the picture is here is not this is not, this is not happy Israel. This is Israel in anguish, but they're in anguish of the revelation finally understanding, oh my gosh, our Messiah died for us. <laughs> Like we missed it. And there, this picture is this deep, deep, deep wounding of, of sorrow, of grief. And I'm just, I'm just imagining like what, it's like Jesus is going to be on earth at this time. He's like going to be there somehow with them. Like I don't know what that all looks like, but he's going to be there with them. 
So like, what is happening in his heart, his whole zeal of the Lord for Israel as he, again, generations, they disdained his sacrifice. And in this moment, they finally yield like, oh my gosh, like Jesus is, I put, I'm like, is he going to be, is he, he's, he's going to be weeping. He's not going to be, I put there, is he going to be rejoicing and dancing? I I don't think so. I think he's going to be, he's going to be weeping in that moment too with them. And I'm just thinking of, um, John 16, it says, I don't have it in your notes, but John 16, 21 talks about a woman in labor who, when they see the little baby, they forget all of the anguish. And I'm like, when Jesus is in that moment and he sees Israel, he's going to forget all of the, the generations of, you know, them rejecting his sacrifice. And he's just going to celebrate in that moment, like, Israel gets it. They, they get it. They understand that I died for them. They're they finally going to receive that gift that I prepared for them. And so it's going to be this beautiful moment, which leads to point E, and we'll wrap up here in just a few minutes. It leads to point E, all Israel is going to get saved. That that has never happened before. Even under King David, the golden era, there was not all of Israel was walking with God. But there's going to be a time when every single Jew on earth at that moment is going to be saved. I gave you a few verses there. Jeremiah 31 says, For they they shall all know me. From the least, from the greatest, <clears throat> for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. <clears throat> so God's zeal, if you remember, you, somewhat, it could be easy to look at the Great Tribulation and specifically regarding Israel and say, how could he let two-thirds be cut off? How could he send them into exile? How could he scatter them from the land? It's really intense, but you look at the results that God's wisdom produces, all of, his, all of Israel turning to him like, his wisdom will be justified on that day. We're going to marvel at, and Israel's going to marvel at, oh my gosh, though you, you, know, you slayed us, like you have, though you wounded us, you have healed us. Like his wisdom is going to be so, um, such something to rejoice in, in what it produces in Israel. At point F, the marriage, marriage vows renewed. This is, again, Hosea. They're, they're going to, Israel's going to pledge themselves in another Sinai moment of renewing covenant with the Lord. They're going to pledge themselves to God. It says, She will answer me in the days of her youth <clears throat> as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, You will call me, again Israel, you Israel, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my Baal. And then uh, next one, righteous in the land forever. So I'll just read the last uh, Jeremiah 32, the last underlined phrase there. God said, I will... So Israel's finally made righteous, and he's, he's so excited because he knows, remember, Israel dwelling in the land, they have to be righteous. And now he's like, now they're all righteous. And so now he's like, I know what the next step is. Well, I'm going to marry them, but then I'm also going to plant them in the land. I'm going to do all the stuff that we learned about last session in his zeal for Jerusalem. So Jesus, or God says, I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in the land, in this land, in faithfulness. I love this last part. He says, I'll plant them with all of my heart and all of my soul. So he is, he is so excited to finally strive with Israel no more and to plant them in the land, never again to be scattered. There will be no more scattering of Israel. They will be in the land forever. And he will be their God, and they will be with him. Just the last piece I'll make, we, 
we didn't, the, the point of the session was not for me to give a theology of Israel and the church and the Gentiles being grafted in. That was not the point of the session, but um, just one verse I love to make in connection with that to kind of, if you are giving me a hard time for not including Gentiles in this message at all, I'll include the Gentiles. Here you go. So this is Revelation 21. So remember, God took Israel out of Egypt, the, cover, or the, the Exodus, Mount Sinai. He gives them the, the wedding vows. You will be my people. I will be your God. He was pledging himself to Israel. Well, at the end of it, he does it, the same thing, the same language again, with all the Jews and all the Gentiles, everybody included. So this is Revelation 21. And a worship leader, you can make your way up at this time. And I have heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So I will be your God, you will be my people. So Israel getting, Israel getting brought through the tribulation, turning to God with a whole heart, through Israel getting saved, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's what he told Abraham. And all the Gentiles, we get included in that marriage covenant with God, with Yahweh, because Israel led the way for us. Well, just a, a takeaway point from this session. I just, I just want to encourage us, like, again, this talk about Israel. It, it's a subject, if you're new to it, it's, it's a little overwhelming. Um, but I want to encourage us, again, not just to know what happens to Israel, but to really peer at Israel connected to what does it reveal about God's heart, that there's, there's a treasure trove of some of the verses that I gave you or ideas of, of God's zeal, of his character connected to what he's going to do in Israel, what he what he's going to do through Israel. And so I just want to give the, the exhortation. I know we got lots to study around here and look at, but let's, let's spend some time um, just asking the Lord, what do you want to show me about Israel? What do you feel about them? I, w- I want to know as a friend of you, God, I want to know a little more clearly what you think, what you feel about Israel. I want to understand this whole zeal of your heart thing a little bit more. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.